Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Well, I don't know if you're like me, but I have found myself trying to understand the situation that we're in, trying to intake information, trying to listen to the experts. I've looked at more graphs with weird squiggly lines that I don't understand than I ever have in my life. I've made new additions to my vocabulary, words like and phrases like flatten the curve or N95 respirator or mortality rate or serological testing, all these new additions that I didn't know five weeks ago that I wish I didn't know and I cannot believe that it's only been five weeks. Now I'm asking the questions both as a, as a husband, as a father, and as a leader of a church of what comes next. Where does all this go? What is the new normal? How do we need to plan? How do we need to adjust what we've been doing so we can still be the people that we're called to be? A people of hope, a people of purpose, so that we can love and serve our neighbors. How do we prepare our church financially for what could be a difficult season? But also, more so, how do we just hold off the future? How do we plan and prepare so that we can thrive in this season? So that we can grow deeper in the love of Jesus, so that we can be more formed in his character, so that we can care more for one another, for our neighbors, and that we can serve our region and our city well. Now, how many times have you heard over the last uh, couple of weeks that these are unprecedented days or that these are uncharted waters? And I feel that. Like, there's so much irony that this morning is the morning that we are celebrating our one-year anniversary because so much in, in so many good ways and in so many unforeseen ways has changed. Uh, but, but as I'm looking and as I'm trying to ask the right questions and trying to find the right voices, and I'm looking for any sort of map, any sense of a guide to help frame the moment that we are experiencing, I've been struck by two things simultaneously. First, there is no map. There is no playbook for planting a church in a pandemic. Uh, we are in uncharted waters. Uh, they, these really are a space that we have not experienced before. Sure, there have been a, a global pandemic before. The Spanish flu of 1918 uh, was, was equal in scope, but uh, the Spanish flu of 1918 happened over a hundred years ago, and the world has so drastically changed. There are futurists that theorize that the world has changed more since 1970 uh, to now than it did in all of the years of human existence prior to that. So think about that. The world has drastically changed. We are more globally connected. There, there are more people, almost double the population. Technolo technology has changed drastically. These days that we're living in are remarkable. And we can look to lessons of the past, but in some sense, we are forging our own path. Now that's the first thing I've been struck by. The second thing I've been struck by is that there is, in fact, a map for this moment. Because what I have been seeking Seeking and trying to figure out in with everything that's going on how to be a better husband, a better father, a better pastor and leader and friend, to be able to live as a non-anxious present in this moment, prepared to give and to grow in this season. What I have been seeking in that regard, those questions that I've been asking, I've been seeking wisdom. 
And Eugene Peterson describes wisdom as the art of living in whatever actual conditions we find ourselves. And really, that's the question that I've been trying to name. How do we live right here and right now? What does it mean to flourish in this season, even if it feels like so much is being pruned and stripped away? And so as we begin this series, I want to begin to explore the art of wisdom. And we're going to start a series in the book of Proverbs. Um, and because I personally, not only has this pandemic been swirling around, but I have come to some personal pain points in my own life. Some things I achingly want to grow and to change and to mature. And truth be told, I, I want some super fertilizer for my life. I want some miracle grow to make all of this good stuff speed to life. Like right now. But in my experience and probably in yours, it never works like that. The good things, the things that really have value, the things that are really go deep down into the soil of our lives take time, and they take patience, and God is patient with us. And so I want to begin, even as the world is swirling around us, to begin to embrace the slow rhythms of what does it mean to live a wise life, and as I look at the, the situation our church is in, as I look at the situation that so many of us are facing, we want to be people who live out of the wisdom and the love of God in this moment. So to begin to explore some of these questions, I turned over to a book that honestly I had not paid much attention to throughout my life as a Christian, the book of Proverbs. Now Proverbs had always struck me as a little cliche, a little trite a little disconnected from the realities of everyday life. Have you ever met a person who has maybe a pithy little wisdom sta statement for every situation? They have their, it is what it is, or it all works out, everything happens for a reason. They kind of have those canned responses. And I don't know about you, but I find that, that kind of response a little annoying. And it's been a place where God has been working on my life. But I find those kinds of canned answers, uh, uh, maybe it's just a personal pet peeve, but, but especially to a person who is struggling or wrestling or suffering, I find those kinds of canned answers a little bit dismissive to the complexity of life. I find them a little bit uh, annoying. And Job's friends have always driven me crazy. And honestly, with the Proverbs... There, there were a couple of verses, a couple of sections that I was grateful for, but on the whole, I'd kind of written off the Proverbs as, as that kind of annoying wisdom, the, the kind of kitschy and cliche stuff that for me, is just it just gets at me, it grates on my soul, it's like sandpaper to my heart. But as I've begun to dig into the book over the last couple of weeks, I have found actually something incredibly moving and something incredibly resonant with my life right now. I, I have found that, that the Proverbs are not simply just disconnected statements. I don't know if you've ever watched one of those shows that, that one week has nothing to do with the next week. I find those shows so pointless. I want a story. And I always thought the Proverbs were kind of like statement Next statement, live your life this way, now do this thing. I just, just didn't see any connection or coherence to the narrative. But what I've found as I've dug into the Proverbs 
is that the Proverbs are actually about what I want my life to be about. You see, I want, my, my core desire, my intention with my life is to honor God and to bless others, to bless those around me. And the Proverbs are filled with a map to do just that. They're a map that if we were to transpose the language of Jesus onto the Proverbs to love God and to love my neighbor, whomever that may be, as myself, they're a guide illuminating the path to a weathered wisdom. And so I'm going to invite you into this study of the Proverbs, and I'm going to invite you as a fellow uh, traveler on this journey. For me, these, these words and these um, principles are hitting me at a point in my life where I need them. And, and I think as we're all facing a sort of similar situation, we're all being challenged, we're all being compressed, we're all being uh, stretched in some ways, and I want to explore this season with the hope that God is doing something in the unseen, is doing something with my limitations, is doing something where I can't move out into the world, put my hand to the plow and get to work, that God is doing something that He has done throughout the history of the world, that He is working towards a harvest, that we are seeds being planted. And yes, there may be a winter to come. There may be time where, where the seed lies fallow. But God is doing something in our midst that's going to grow not only his kingdom, but our character. And so, friends, I want to invite you this morning to turn over with me to the book of Proverbs. We're going to start what's going to be a two-part uh, teaching series. We're going to start with a part one. I want to introduce you just kind of what is the overall goal of the, of the Proverbs and what is the foundational framework from which the Proverbs are working through. So if you have a Bible, if you have it on a screen, or you have a paper Bible, which are truly awesome, turn over to Proverbs chapter 1. It begins in Proverbs 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For learning about wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for gaining instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity, to teach shrewdness to the simple, knowledge and prudence to the young. Let the wise also hear and gain in learning, and the discerning acquire skill to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. So the Proverbs begins by listing off all of the benefits that lie therein. And look at what it says. It lists off the, the, the results and the life that awaits those who are willing to humbly seek and to ask and to follow. And look at these, look at these rewards that await, these treasures that, that are uh, deeply hidden within the earthen uh, jar of the Proverbs. First, learning about wisdom and instruction. Understanding words of insight, gaining instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, equity, shrewdness, knowledge, prudence, and skill. I don't know about you, I, I, I try to think about who is the wisest person that I know. And you think about the character and the quality of that person's life. And so many of these things define those people in our lives. Wisdom is one of those things you just, you, you almost, it's like perfume. Like when you walk into the presence of somebody who's wearing it, you just know. And, and some of it you're just hoping rubs off on you. Eugene Peterson says of the Proverbs, he says, Wisdom has to do with becoming skillful and honoring our parents and raising our children, 
Han handling our money and conducting our sexual lives, going to work and exercising leadership, using words well and treating friends kindly, eating and drinking healthily, cultivating emotions within ourselves, attitudes towards others that make for peace. And friends, I don't know about you, but if your perspective on the Proverbs was that there was sort of this kind of detached and incoherent uh, cliches for life, what you actually find is that the Proverbs are a treasure trove of wisdom. And wisdom is not a cold, detached intellect. It's not this hyper-efficient way of looking at the world. It's not calculating. It's not humanistic. It's not based on human observation. Rather, wisdom is the, a gift of God of love in practice. Wisdom is what love looks like with skin and bones on it. And so I, I wanted to approach wisdom in this season and to, and to really drill down to how do we live this out? Because I think at the core, this is the question that so many of us are asking is what do we do now? And I think it's so easy in a season like the one that we are living in to feel like everything's on pause to be overwhelmed with grief or with fear, and this is not to belittle that grief or that fear. We've talked a lot about this as a church and processing our emotions and letting Jesus come into our pain. None of this is a fast forward button through the very real things that we are experiencing. Those are very real. However, there is also something that as we've celebrated Easter, as we've celebrated the reality of, of a Friday where Christ was crucified and yet we could still call it good, that we see even when we are facing the most immense sort of pain that we could ever imagine, that God is doing something. He is bringing about new creation and new life. And so even as it seems, as it seemed on Holy Saturday when Jesus was in the tomb, that life was on pause, God is working in the unseen. He is changing and reshaping the world. And we want to invite him ever so gently, ever so patiently as God always is into that space in our lives. You see, it may feel like things are on pause. And it's so easy for us just to numb our way through this season. We have Netflix or social media. Uh, you can even numb yourself with news just by constantly flooding your, uh, your, your intellect and your knowledge with just an intake of new information. Eventually, the, the efficacy of that information wears off and it just becomes a wash. And so we want to approach this season with skill because we have so many distractions available to us at all times. And through all of these, we become passive to life. Rather than cultivating a life that receives the story of hope, we let the whirlwind and the waves of the world wash over us. And Jesus talks about this sort of passivity at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 as he describes the kind of person who builds their house on a foundation of sand. He says the winds come and the seas rise and the house is washed away. And what I want for us to see, Ecclesia, is that even though this pandemic might be painful in so many ways, in, in that it has shown places that we have built our house upon the sand, we don't have to simply stand among the ruins without hope. If this moment has revealed places where our foundations were not built on the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ, 
Jesus isn't pointing and laughing and saying, I told you so. He is right there in our midst. And he's trying to show us a better master plan, a better way to build our lives. And so Jesus talked about moments like the one that we are facing. In a room, hidden away with his closest disciples, he talked about the kind of life that bears much fruit. And this is what wisdom does. Wisdom grows beyond itself. Wisdom honors God and blesses others. And this is the kind of life, uh, I don't know about you, but personally I'm pursuing and, and, and personally I foresee for the life of this church. And as Jesus was gathered in a room on the last week of his life with his disciples, he told them and he taught them what it would mean for these seasons of pruning to result in seasons of harvest and seasons of flourishing. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide or remain in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now there's two important things for us to notice as we begin this discussion of wisdom. First, Jesus' words to his disciples are the grounds of his words of wisdom to us today. Notice what Jesus said to them in John 15. He says, You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Paul in 1 Corinthians will talk about the wisdom of God being foolishness to the world because the wisdom of God is the cross. And this is what we celebrated as we celebrated Holy Week and Easter Sunday. Jesus reveals the majesty and the glory of God by allowing himself to be humiliated and crucified on a cross. This is not the world's wisdom. Jesus reveals the Father's never-ending love for us by his blood shed for us. And what this means is that all of our pursuit of the wisdom of God, every ounce that we gain, flows from the grace of God. This is so important for us today as we begin uh, setting a foundation for pursuing godly wisdom. We don't gain access to some special knowledge, like some law of attraction type stuff, where what we, what we see in our lives or what we envision will become our reality. We gain access not to some humanistic kind of endeavor. We gain access to the very heart of God. It's not our insight or our intelligence that allows us to live skillfully. Because for us, if, if we were just left to our own devices, living skillfully would be building the best kingdom for ourselves and those closest to us that we could possibly build. This is not the wisdom of the kingdom of God. The wisdom of the kingdom of God and living skillfully in the kingdom of God is living to honor God and to love others. It is, as Jesus says, not only to bless those who love you, but to bless those who persecute you, uh, to love your enemies as yourselves. The wisdom of God is an others-oriented wisdom. See, wisdom is not just about what we can make for ourselves, the kind of legacy that we can leave. The wisdom of God is about inviting the whole world to see the beauty of God. 
And when we allow the love of God, the word that Jesus has spoken to us that has already made us clean, when we allow that to shape what it means to live skillfully and how we go about doing that, we find ourselves at home and welcome in this kingdom that Jesus is building. And it's out of this love and out of this grace that that all of this wisdom that we are going to be exploring flows. Jesus is the cornerstone, Psalm 118. He is the one, the foundation that we build this life upon, as he says in Matthew chapter 7. And so for us this morning, we want to hear that so clearly, that first thing, that everything that we can gain in wisdom is as a result of his gracious giving of himself to us because of his love for us and because he desires for us to live a full life. And Jesus shows us what a full life looks like. A full life is loving God, is loving others. A full life is laying down our lives for those around us. And so we start there. And as we read John 15, as we explore the wisdom of God, the first tenet of the wisdom of God is that it is a gift of God. It is an expression of his love and that we receive it. Now, the second thing we see there in John 15, as we're, as we're sort of building a foundation for our exploration of Proverbs, is the second thing. It says that he, he prunes the branches, those that bear fruit, the branches that are, that are already beginning to show signs of being attached to the vine. He prunes. He trims back. And friends, we're, we're entering into spring. This is a time where things grow. But at the end of the fall, it's a very wise thing for us to identify the plants and the shrubs and the trees that are growing that we want to grow and to trim them back. It actually increases their fruitfulness and their life going forward. Now, Proverbs 1 verse 7 gives us a, a paradigm and a lens for exploring what does it mean for God to prune us. And this is the foundation of all wisdom in the Proverbs. And really what we see is this is a foundation for a relationship with God. Look at what it says in Proverbs 1 verse 7. It says, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, it may sound like that is the opposite of what I was just telling you about all of this wisdom and this life with God being a gift, that all of it is an expression of His love. Does God want us to fear Him or to love Him, you may be asking? Is this some kind of Lao Tzu, art of war, it is better to be feared or loved kind of conundrum? Well, no. You see, throughout the scriptures, we see that people respond to manifestations of God's presence with a trembling fear. After God redeems the people of Israel, rescuing them from slavery, carrying them through the Red Sea, they literally walk between walls of water on dry land, and then the water is closed behind them. After this moment, God appears to them at Mount Sinai in a cloud of swirling thunder and lightning. And the people of Israel, it says in Exodus chapter 20, were afraid, and they stood at a distance. And Moses says to them that God wants to ensure that fear of God is in them so that they do not sin. Now, I want to say something to those of you who may have grown up in a tradition where it seemed as God was all judge, jury, and executioner. That it was all based on fear. That if you didn't do the right thing, God was waiting like Zeus with a lightning bolt and that he was going to strike you down. Now, at some point, especially in our modern Western culture, that sort of fear-based narrative usually loses its steam. 
Because it seems that that kind of fear of God is synonymous with ignorance. What you begin to find as you live your life is that when you do wrong, you may feel a, a, a tinge of guilt, but there's nothing waiting around the corner to strike you down. And so it begins to, to become clear to you that it's like, well, if, if all of my life with God if all of my experience in church is built upon fear, then maybe all of it is a bit of a myth. And what I want to tell you this morning is that God is not looking for some sort of blind, fear-laden obedience from us. Our culture struggles with the notion of reverence. I mean, think about it. What do we, what do we revere in this day and age? And I think this is where some of our struggle to apprehend what does it mean for us to have a fear of the Lord. As Proverbs 1.7 is telling us, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And for us, that strikes us as a little bit dissonant, a little bit counterintuitive. But I think for us, as we begin to understand what does it mean to revere God? What does it mean for us to hold something as sacred and other, but not to be distanced from it, not to be removed from it? I think that is where God is drawing us into this mystery. Um, C.S. Lewis, if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, I just highly recommend it. It's such a beautiful story in and of itself. And the way that it mirrors and the way that it transposes some of the Jesus story is so powerful. And C.S. Lewis depicts Aslan, a lion who is this creator God figure in the story. And I won't spoil the rest of the story, but it's really beautiful the way that Aslan is depicted by Lewis. And in the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is this all-encompassing force. And in the first book, called The Magician's Nephew, we meet Aslan for the first time. And Diggory, one of the main characters and throughout the story is carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders because his mother, as, as Diggory is off in this uh, fantastic world, he's been uh, transported to Narnia, his mother is at home terminally ill. And Diggory is meeting Aslan for the first time. And Diggory has seen the things that Aslan can do. He's watched him from afar. And he's seen this immense power that Aslan holds, and he realizes that Aslan probably has the ability to help cure his mother. But he's, he's afraid. He's terrified. And all he can sense is Aslan, this lion's overwhelming power and authority. And for the first time, he stands before Aslan, and he's, he's this conflict of emotions. He's trying to figure out, should I say something? And then suddenly it just comes out of his mouth before he can even realize it. The book says... Diggory says to Aslan, but please, please, won't you? Can't you give me something that will cure mother? Up till then, the narrator says, he had been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws on them. Now, in his despair, he looked up at his face. And what he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near his own, and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. And Jesus, in a series of instructions to his disciples, 
tells them in Matthew chapter 10. He says, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Now, again, on its face, this sounds super scary. Hell, fire, and brimstone kind of stuff. But look at what Jesus says next. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted and numbered. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than the birds of the air. And Jesus in this moment is speaking to the disciples about the trouble they will have in this world as they live differently, as they live in, in a opposition, as they swim upstream against the world around them. And he instructs them. He says, don't be afraid of those who will threaten violence against your bodies, but fear God who holds in his hand a much weightier punishment. But notice Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, see, that settles it. He doesn't rule by fiat. He doesn't say, listen, I am God. You will listen to me. I am autocratic. I do what I want. He doesn't say, you will be afraid. He doesn't stop there. But notice how he frames the fear of the Lord. This is so important for us this morning. He says, he frames the fear within the reality of God's care for us, of God's abiding presence. Fear of the Lord is a fear that is born out of love, a fear of not living up to the love that we have received. So friends, as we talk about fear of the Lord being the, the foundation and the beginning of wisdom, we see that fear of the Lord is not some baseline feeling of terror. It's not God trying to beat us down to the point where we acknowledge, oh, you are God, you must be so great because I am terrified of you. Now, fear of the Lord is the experience of God's awe-inspiring power in the embrace of His never-ending love. I'm going to say that again for you. Fear of the Lord is the experience of God's awe-inspiring power in the embrace of His never-ending love. So the question that we are beginning to ask ourselves as we begin this series in the book of Proverbs is, do we fear the Lord? Do we live to please Him with a single-minded purpose? Do we seek Him above all else? Do we seek His ways above our own? You see, this quarantine moment feels like everything is on pause. But what if it's simply a time of pruning? What if we are preparing to be planted, preparing for a harvest? I'm, I want to invite you on a journey with me because I don't know about you, but I want to thrive in this season. And not the kind of thriving that's like make a list and dominate the day. Be your best self. Be your most efficient self. You can come out of quarantine looking like you're ready for the beach. I'm not talking about that kind of thriving. Proverbs has many things to say about a, a, a real life weathered wisdom for living in the world. And so there are things to say about what it means for us to live in this place. But... I want to thrive with the kind of life that remains in the love of Jesus, the kind of life that builds my foundation on his teachings and on his life. I want to thrive because I'm planted deeply in the vine, because I recognize that for every harvest, for every season of reaping, there is a time of planting, of preparing, of waiting, 
of, of expecting a gift from God that he will take care of the factors that are out of our control. And there's so much of this as we talk about sowing and reaping, we still have to trust that God brings the sunlight and the water, that he renews the soil. So much of this moment has revealed truly how little is in our control. Diana Butler Bass says, we never lose control, but we lose the illusion that we were ever in control to begin with. And for me, I want to loose the reins on that sense of control while also inviting God to develop and to, to articulate and architect a deep and beautiful wisdom in my life, a wisdom that honors God and blesses others. Pete Scazzaro says all the time that the work that God wants to do in me, the work that God wants to do in drawing near to me is always so much more than the work that God wants to do through me. And I want to thrive in this moment because I fear God and I want to bless the world out of the abundance and out of the beauty and the love of that relationship. And I want to invite you with me. And so today we simply want to establish the fear of the Lord is not God's cold-handed judgment, not God saying, you need to know your place before you come into my presence. No, fear of the Lord is understanding this awe that we have when we get to encounter the living God who made the world, but also, like Diggory looks into the face of Aslan, looking into his eyes and seeing his heart for us, seeing that his heart is more for us than it is that we even have a heart for ourselves, seeing that his heart is more for the ones that we love than we have for them. And it's living a life out of that experience. Fear of the Lord is the experience of God's awe-inspiring power in the embrace of His never-ending love for us. And friends, today we start on a journey asking the question, how do we live in this moment? And seeing that Jesus has shown us that, that the, the Word of God is a lamp for our feet and a light unto our path, even as these moments seem so dark. And so would you go on this journey with me? Would you invite God into the, the quarantined confines of your home and say, God, do a work in me. Plant me in the soil of your rich love so that when there's time for harvesting, I would produce much fruit that blesses the people around me, blesses my family, blesses my, my spouse or my friends or my children or my teachers, blesses those I work with. And that is a gift to the world because of the deep life that God is working out in us. Friends, would you pray with me? Beautiful Jesus, Lord, I pray uh, on behalf of our church that we would be a people that love wisdom. God, love wisdom because we fear you. Not, not fear born out of sheer terror, God, but fear born out of a love that just wants to please you more than anything else. God, I pray for those who hear the phrase fear of the Lord and, and are uh, just immediately transported back to, to, to negative experiences in church. God, that you are showing yourself afresh. God, that you're showing your love to, to everybody listening to this right now. God, that you're just, you're just witnessing with their heart that this is true. This is true of them. This is true of their lives, God. And, and God, I pray for those of us who feel like we may have seen much erode away in our lives, much of what we built our security on, that may seem like sinking sand in this moment. 
God, that we would see in the ruins of the life that we may have envisioned for ourselves that you are standing there. You are embracing us and offering us a better way. And God, I pray for those, uh, for those listening today who may feel guilty, God, who may feel ashamed that you would show them that you are embracing them, that they are already clean because of the word that you have spoken to them. Jesus, that you've given yourself as the word of God, spoken to the world, unfailing love, that you so loved the world and you so loved each and every person in it, that you would give of yourself endlessly and to the full. And so Jesus, would you take us on a journey, God, a journey that truly enables us to be wise people, God, enables us to be a blessing over and above, God, the norm, because we live in light of your wisdom. And when we see that your wisdom is a cross, God, that though it's foolishness to the world to live on behalf of others, God, it is the wisdom of God. And we live your life out of the power of your spirit, God, out of the beauty of your wisdom as we live in relationship with you. Jesus, we pray and we ask all these things in your name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.